you know, we talk a lot about sustainability and you hear a lot about that term. And I, for me, design build puts that term, which again, I think we all, each of us would have our own definition of what sustainability is. It puts that term into practice and really sets it into a particular situation. Welcome to Archonnect Sessions one-to-one. I'm Amelia, and this week I'm speaking with Charlie Haley, author of Design Build with Jersey Devil, a handbook for education and practice. The book is a wonderful mixture of history, interviews, experiments, and how-tos, all focused around design build pedagogy and practice. According to architect and writer Michael Sorkin, Jersey Devil put the funk back in functionalism, and Haley's book is true to that spirit. We speak about how Jersey Devil got started in the 70s and the implications of design build pedagogy for today's academic climate. Charlie Haley, thank you so much for coming on to One to One to talk about your book, Design Build with the Jersey Devil. I wanted to first ask you, just how did you first learn about Jersey Devil's practice? Oh, Amelia, it's great to be here. It's funny, I uh, after graduating from undergraduate, I had a study for four years in architecture. And um, after graduation, I went down to uh, Northwest Florida to work for a contractor. I have a little bit of construction background, but I wanted to uh, get more after um, you know four years of, of architecture school. So I went down to Northwest Florida and started working uh, in a place called Seaside, which some of y'all may be familiar with. Building at that point in the early 90s, pretty large-scale residences. And uh, I'd worked for maybe a month or so. And then across the street, there was construction started on this uh, really interesting wood construction. And I was wondering, what in the world is that? And a few days later, a guy came across the street and was talking to the contractor. And as it turns out, it was uh, Steve Bedanes and uh, and Jim Adamson as well. And uh, as, as quickly as I could, as I saw this going up, and after hearing them talk about their project, I asked the contractor, who is also overseeing that project as well, um, if I could if I could go over and work for those guys for a while. <laughs> and uh, I hadn't really, at that point, unfortunately, I hadn't heard too much about Jersey Devil, but pretty quickly realized that that's where I really wanted to be. And who I wanted to work with. And really, and it was also, of course, one of the best building sites I've ever encountered. We were on the uh, crest of the dunes overlooking the, you know, the Mm. beautiful blue waters of the Gulf of Mexico. So it was, it was really an ideal moment to sort of transition into that. So when exactly was this? This was uh, 1992 after uh, graduation, undergraduate. So at no point in your architecture education were you given kind of a, these are the historic design build practices of American architecture education. And so Jersey Devil's name had come up. No, that's a, that's a good point. No, there was no, uh, I, I knew a little bit about the the history of sort of DIY construction in the United States, the sort of homeowner as builder model. I was interested in in carpentry and craft. I'd worked in summers um, doing that. But other than that, and, and also at, at Princeton, we had a um, materials and methods course with a, a guy named Leon Bart, who uh, ran the uh, laboratory in the uh, on, on campus, the architecture laboratory. So I had a little bit of exposure um, and actually really significant exposure from him. But again, it was really just through one course and other conversations with him. So pretty limited exposure at that point in undergraduate studies. Because you also attended Princeton like the founders of Jersey Devil. Is that correct? Yes. And so that's what I'm wondering is what exactly happened in the time when they decided to start Jersey Devil, which I believe was in the late 60s, early 70s or so, as students at Princeton seeing that there was this dearth of connection or access from the educational sphere to the actual building reality that they wanted to pursue and establish that connection. And Princeton being 
obviously like not necessarily known for that connection. So I'm wondering in your own time there, how you perceived that perhaps lack of the connection to the building world, to the actual architectural education world. Right. Yeah, that's a, there, it's pretty interesting parallels, even though um, separated by, you know, a couple, a couple of decades. Mm. Then, and we actually, Jim and uh, Jim was an undergrad at the time, and Steve and John were graduate students. And um, because of leveling courses, they were actually, all three of them were in some of the same classes. And as it, as it turned out, you know, 20 years later or so, I, I was taking Architecture 101, which was uh, taught by Robert Geddes and, and actually the same similar course that he taught them um, when they were in architecture school. And, and it, of course, it was a great overview of architectural practice and really uh, gave a, a really incredible and insightful view of architecture. But it didn't really, in a way, it was emblematic of courses at the time. It didn't really give a, a view of alternative practices. And I think Jersey Devil at the time were, were really looking for how to um, practice environmentally conscious architecture, architecture where the builder had a had um, a sense of design and where the designer could also function as the as the builder. And I think you know my undergraduate experience was was fairly similar. I mean, I love design studio and I love teaching design studio. But at the time, I, having had a little bit of carpentry experience and an interest in hands-on work, I felt like something was uh, was missing in the work. And then when you started, you actually had the opportunity to work with Jersey Devil. Tell me a little bit about that. Did that continue after the Seaside Project or the, the project in Seaside? It did. It did. I, I've been fortunate to work with Jersey Devil on, on a few different projects and really grew to understand not only how to build, but also, I mean, ultimately how to live I and mean, how to really think not only about uh, what you're making, but how you make it, how it sits within the larger context, the political context, the material context, and you know, even in the broader global context of, of ecology and uh, society and culture. So it's, it's really uh, been a pretty wonderful um, learning curve over the, over the years. Well, what comes through so clearly in the book and also just in other accounts of the Jersey Devil practice is that it really is a lifestyle, far more so than simply a design practice ethos or an architectural ethos, given that you know, some of these founders of Steve Bedanes, Jim Adamson, and, and John Ringel, that they would live these kind of nomadic construction lifestyles where they would live on site of the construction, not necessarily in the construction, but like nearby and work on it and then move on to the next project and, you know, be constantly in that rhythm of, you know, design, build, design, build, but also without retreating to necessarily their own, you know, static um, living situation, which is just such a kind of dramatic and pretty radical way to practice architecture. And I'm wondering if, if that's something that in particular in your own engagement with it, you found was, was accessible to most people or something that kind of drew them to Jersey Devil or that it was this kind of like, you know, 70s lifestyle, very much wrapped up in the environmental movement. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, it, it, in a way, it's, it's one of the deepest engagements you can have, not only with a building site, but also with a building process. And I, I certainly was enthralled by that. I mean, I, I think, you know, for a while, my wife and I lived in a 13-foot Bambi uh, working down with Jim in, in Southern Florida. And, and you know, that had a such a, uh, it, it, it really did become a kind of lifestyle. And we, uh, I guess the uh, there's a kind of mythology to it as well. As you mentioned, you know, Jersey Devil is sort of living on site and, and there's a reality to that as well. I mean, they really, at certain moments were really roughing it. They were making, not only living in Airstream trailers, but at other moments they were building their own constructions on site, their own shelters. Jim in particular would build, uh, often build a uh, shelter out of um, salvaged components. So that the idea, that idea of roughing it became a, um, an integral part 
to the entire entire project. So in a way, it is. You know, and, and I, I wish I could be doing it now. In a, in a way, there, there's a kind of um, it's, it's a kind of uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's everybody's dream, but it certainly was uh, it satisfied my dreams at that moment to to really live uh, nomadically and live with a project and just be fully fully in touch with it. So what are some of the other major design build either practices or programs in the U.S. that kind of form the, the context for Jersey Devil? Well, it's interesting. They, they at a certain moment in their, um, in their work, there was a, a sort of hinge or, or joint where they were still practicing as Jersey Devil, but they were also began teaching. And, and really that started in the early 80s. And their um, pedagogy and their, their educational, their interest in education really influenced a whole series of other um, design build programs. I mean, in particular, you know, Rural Studio is, is probably the most, the most well-known. And, you know, Sambo Mockby talks about the relationship of of Jersey Devil and Jersey Devil's teaching and practice to the founding of uh, Rural Studio. And the Devils are certainly engaged, still engaged with Rural Studio today. And, and then, of course, now there's more than 100 programs throughout North America and, and many, many more internationally as well. Now, in particular, the book Design Build with Jersey Devil, its subtitle is A Handbook for Education and Practice. So this isn't just a kind of t- coffee table text that goes through the history and the context for Jersey Devil and like what it is, but is actually also can be seen as, as a manual for students and architecture teachers that want to kind of start doing this kind of teaching. Can you tell me a little bit about how you approached writing the book in that regard versus writing it as simply a an account or a journalistic exercise? Yeah, sure. No, that, that's, a, that's a great question. Well, first of all, it was a lot of fun to, to work on this project because be, it really began as a series of conversations with Jersey Devil. You know, initially we called it Speak of the Devil because it was there were these uh, dialogues with um, Jim, John, and Steve about their, both about their work in the past, but also focusing on their current work, uh, teaching um, design build, which each of them do actively now. And so there's a component there, which is in a way, it's the underlayment of the conversations that we had, uh, the interview process. Where we have a kind of oral history, but it's a very present and immediate thing where really drawing in and drawing out the nuts and bolts of how, not only how you teach design build, but think more deeply how you practice design build and what that means. So our hope is that it's useful not only to students and teachers and instructors, but also, you know, might interest a broader audience who is uh, not only interested in Jersey Devil in particular, but also more generally interested in design build as a process. And, you know, even as you mentioned, a lifestyle or an ethos, something that, you know, the book in a way shows you how to do it, but I think it also engages why we do it and um, sort of what that means. Why do you think in the context that Jersey Devil began, why did they feel it was so urgent to practice this kind of architecture? Yeah, I think they, and it's, and it's interesting, I think it's, there's some similar reasons that we see today. I mean, at the time, um, John talks about you know, Earth Day starting and that there, there was a, um, a growing environmental conscience and that it was a uh, sort of way of practicing that was in touch with environmental systems, with site conditions, with um, conserving energy. Um, using alternative materials, exploring uh, what then was called appropriate technology. And, and I think today it's similar issues of uh, an urgency to engage the current need for connections with community, connections with people, also conserving energy and connecting with the environment, and, and even dealing with constraints, which 
is um, one of the things that teaching design build you you encounter invariably you encounter constraint and just learning how to address that uh, difficulties and problems and, and not only problem solving but setting problems and learning how to at an early stage how to frame the issues that you're going to encounter whether it's as a practitioner or a um, somebody just who has their own house or somebody who's teaching architecture. So how would that then relate to the context of architecture education today? What is particularly urgent about architecture education today that design build practices or design build ethos, a design build ethos could help? Yeah, I, I, one, of the, one of the things is you know, we talk a lot about sustainability and you hear a lot of, about that term. And, and I, for me, design build puts that term, which again, I think we all, each of us would have our own definition of what sustainability is. It puts that term into practice and really sets it into a particular situation. And so I think it, I think it helps us understand that. And I think it also helps us sort of roundedness of profession. Again, whether we're practicing as an architect, a designer, um, or even just someone who's, you know, building our own, um, our own place in the world. And so that roundedness accommodates all kinds of tools, even uh, digital fabrication, hands-on work, and uh, you know, ultimately the kind of full-scale engagement of the thing that you're making. So then what are some of the, the limits of the design-build pedagogy? One of the things we talk a lot about, and I talk a lot about it in the book, is scope. One of, you know, the, the ultimate limit, one of the, one of the early, one of the limits you learn early on when you start teaching design-build is budget. And um, I, I mean, the, the first few projects I did, and actually it comes up every once in a while, we have zero budget. So, you know, starting with zero and then working with students to, to uh, raise money, to fundraise, to uh, try to pull in uh, enough to make the project happen. So that's budget certainly a con- uh, something that constrains scope. But ultimately, there's the issue of time, too. And um, Steve's work up at University of Washington, they're on quarters, so he has to bring a project to completion in 11 weeks. And Jim, down at uh, University of Miami, has a little bit longer, but a similar number of contact hours, which is more like our, our situation at University of Florida with 16 weeks. And then at Yesermorrow uh, Design Build School, completing a project in two weeks with work being done each day. So time is certainly another you know, constraint on the scope. And then ultimately, all, the, all of that affects the size of the project. So, you, you know, the, the, it has to be pretty small. You got to keep it small and simple. So what are the Jersey Devil guys up to right now? Because now they're, you know, getting on an age, you might say a little bit. They might not be as able on the construction site as they were in the early 70s, but they're all still practicing design build in some form. What are they up to right now? They are, and they're and they're um, incredibly energetic. You can see on the on the last page of the book is their. Uh, That's exactly what I was looking at. <laughs> they're they're all making these uh, thumbs up or pointing at the camera, and it's adorable. <laughs> and that's the and that's the and that's the energy and the and the um, you know the, the fun that the, the they have and that we you know that, that it is working with them and that the students have working with them and we we put that I like the sort of bookend of that image with the. the um, you know the first image of them, sort of at the at the interview table at the at the secret location. Right now, they are Steve is teaching at University of Washington. Uh, Jim is uh, teaches at University of Miami. In the past, he's taught at MIT um, and Miami University. And John teaches at Yesermorrow um, Design Build School, which is also where Jim and Steve teach in the summer. They teach a uh, John teaches a home design build course, and uh, Jim and Steve, along with Bill Belosky, teach. Uh, what's called public interest design build. Uh, it used to be called community design build. And it's, a, it's that two-week course that I mentioned mm. before. Tell me a little bit about Yesermorrow, about that particular design build program. 
Yeah, Yestermorrow has been, in, in a way, Jersey Devil influenced Yestermorrow, and Yestermorrow has influenced Jersey Devil. It's a, it's a design-build school in, uh, in Vermont. Some of the uh, folks involved with that, uh, Steve met in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, it was founded by John Connell, uh, I believe in 1980. And uh, soon after that, John and Steve started uh, teaching there. And uh, you go there and it's, it's a wonderful laboratory of designing and building and education and experimentation. And it's you know set obviously in a, in a beautiful the Mad River Valley, a beautiful place where there's there's an amazing tradition of hands-on construction and craft and uh, really testing the limits of architecture architecture, but also the rigors of craft and construction, really just making beautiful, beautiful things. So for architecture education programs at any level, bachelors or above or however, how do you imagine schools that are particularly traditional schools or, or in, in, enmeshed in universities that kind of keep things at a certain level and might limit other degrees of experimentation? How might those kinds of architecture schools and architectural educational institutions integrate these design-build practices into their programming for the better. Yeah, it's you know sometimes it's difficult in, in terms of curriculum to find uh, to find a place for design-build, and there's different strategies for bringing in the um, the elements of design-build. In some cases, it might be a required materials and methods course that you know asks students to build details or to build joints or to. Experience experiment with concrete or wood. And then at the sort of other end of the spectrum, it becomes a full-blown studio. And um, the way that I've talked about it with Jersey Devil is because sometimes design build is placed in a, in a position of the capstone, sort of a, you know, a culmination of the uh, education or at least an option at the end of either undergraduate studies or kind of midway through the graduate education. And really the way we, we talked about it was more as a keystone course rather than a capstone because it's interesting that uh, design build in a certain sense takes you back to some of the foundational elements of design I mean, i've talked about this with my students we in a way not only because the projects are relatively simple but also because you know we're learning again how to build and how to make a project we return to really you know, fundamental aspects of a project and not in a way that oversimplifies things, but in a way that takes it back to basics. So I think there's a real opportunity for architecture schools to include design and build not only as that foundational aspect, but also as a great way to, to reach out to the community and to connect with the, uh, the larger world. And then ultimately to give students experience contacting materials, uh, working with wood directly, working with, uh, in some cases, even welding, in other cases, you know, assembling uh, details that they've drawn, but maybe never really uh, experienced in, in terms of full scale. Do you feel that there are programs um, or similar kind of initiatives outside of the U.S. that kind of might offer a helpful counterpoint to this kind of practice, or at least a way that it might be integrated into a kind of architecture curriculum more generally? I think so. I mean, one thing that when you mention that that I'm out is the you know there's a there's a lot of design build studios here in North America work um, domestically. They do projects in their home city or home county or region. But there is an opportunity, and and Jim has done a lot, and Steve as well have done a lot of projects abroad. And one of the things that Jim likes about working internationally and working with students internationally is that it it's even another layer of constraint in a way. But it's a it's a liberating constraint because other things come into focus, like working with the local community, working with the materials at hand, figuring out uh, design opportunities from sometimes limited resources, and um, and ultimately connecting with a culture that you're not familiar with. So 
to round things out through the course of doing the research for this book. And of course, you have many years of your own experience in architecture education to to have been informed by this. But after writing the book, what, what are some of the standout pieces of advice you might give to architecture students that you've learned from doing the research? <laughs> One of the things I love about architecture, and this is you know, maybe bad advice coming from a professional architect and, a, and an educator, but I, architectural education, I think, is one of the best foundations for doing whatever you want to do, whether it's become a licensed architect, which hopefully many students become, but also being a citizen of a community and of world. And one of the things that Design Build offers is bringing that through in terms of material culture, in terms of contact with things in themselves, with actual materials, with you know members of the community, that directness of Design Build where you can't really hide behind a drawing. You have to really engage things directly, I think is one of the really incredible opportunities of Design Build education. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for speaking with me about Design Build with Jersey Devil. It was really interesting, and I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, Amelia, thank you. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Archonnect Sessions One-to-One with Charlie Haley. This interview was made possible with help from Princeton Architectural Press. Donna Lovoynov edits the podcast, and Matt Skillings composed our music. Myself and Paul Petrunia are the producers of One-to-One. New episodes come out every Monday. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music. And if you like the podcast, consider leaving us a review. We are at Arc Sessions on Twitter, and you can email us at connect at Thanks again for listening.